Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. It is May 20th. We are a week away now from Selection Monday. And that is an exciting, exciting time in college baseball. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we've got a new top 25 at BaseballAmerica.com, and we've got conference tournaments starting this week. So we're just going to dive right into this, and I'm going to welcome in Dave Serrano and Joe Healy, who are here to uh, partake in, in all of the fun as we start conference tournament week. Glad to be back, Teddy. It's an exciting time of the year. Postseason is upon us, and this is the best time of college baseball season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with all, all of uh, what Dave said there. Just a really fun time of year. Um, it doesn't, doesn't get it much better. I mean, it's basically going to be wall-to-wall baseball this week with conference tournaments starting and a Selection Monday right around the corner. Um, going to be a whole lot of fun for the next month or so. And there is a lot of baseball this week, which is never a bad thing. Uh, so, mentioned this week, we have a new Top 25. It looks a lot like last week's Top 25. The Top 14 teams, in fact, remain unchanged. So that's UCLA number one, followed by Vanderbilt, which clinched the SEC regular season title this weekend. Uh, And then we have Stanford, Arkansas, and Mississippi State rounding out the top five. Arkansas is the only team in the top 14 that lost a series this weekend. They they went down to A&M and lost, but they still won the SEC West. And so we left them alone at number four, just ahead of Mississippi State. Uh, which was had a chance to to pass Arkansas for the SEC West title, but could not get that done on the final day of the regular season. So they remain number five. Two new teams join the top 25 this week. We have Indiana coming in at number 20 after winning the Big Ten regular season title. And Creighton checks in at number 25. They won the Big East. A little bit there, there was a little bit of an anticlimactic weekend here, but there were still a, a few intriguing results that we want to touch on. And one of them, probably the the most interesting thing that happened around the country this weekend was Texas Tech nips Baylor for the Big 12 title. Texas Tech did not do it easy. They lost to TCU on Thursday night and then came back and won the next two games while Baylor got swept in an abbreviated two-game series at Oklahoma State. They didn't play the final game uh, due to bad weather there in Stillwater. It, so they, they fall out of first place in the Big 12. Texas Tech grabs it. Uh, they, they wind up playing pretty well there against TCU. The, the, the first game, really, they just got beat by Nick Lodolo. Their offense couldn't get anything going against the Frogs pitching staff, and then they figured it out over the next two days, and they wind up with their third Big 12 title in four years, and that is a piece that will look very nice on their resume for a top eight overall seed. Joe, you uh, you were the lone one of us that, that called Texas Tech winning the Big 12 uh, last week when we made our, our conference champion picks. So do you want to gloat, and what what stood out to you this weekend about the way that they were able to win the title? 
Well, uh, I'm not going to gloat. I mean, I'm a humble guy. Um, probably the most <laughs> humble guy I know, honestly. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I mean, it was for me, it was just you kind of felt this building, you know, it was one of those things where it's funny how it works out that for a long time we, we sat either on this podcast or in our top 25 discussions over the last month or so, maybe even six weeks, we've talked about, it feels like Texas Tech's the best team right now and they're playing the best right now. It's just a matter of if they've got enough time uh, to get there. And it turns out that they had literally just enough time. <laughs> they really couldn't have waited much longer to get it done, but they did get it done. And what, what, what kind of impresses me about what they've done here, uh, not just this weekend, but really in general, as they've kind of made their move, is that the concern we had was the, was the pitching side of things. And look, if, if things get sideways on them in the postseason, that seems like the most likely thing that could get them sideways. But they've kind of done that thing that they do year after year. And as the season has gone on, they've done a really good job of just kind of throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. Obviously, there's a little more method to that madness than that. It's not that simple. But they do have a good job of mixing and matching to try to find what figure out what they have. And, and they've kind of settled on some things. I mean, Caleb Killian, for the most part, since mid-March has been quite good. I mean, he's kind of steadied that rotation. And then a guy like Micah Dallas has really come on and filled out that rotation. And then they've settled on a, a handful of guys in the bullpen with Dane Haveman and, and Clayton Beater. And, you know, John McMillan's had his moments. He was actually really good in that, that opener against TCU and really kind of kept them in that game uh, with a longer extended outing there. So, um, you know, they've done a nice job of just finding the arms. That's something that we've said time and time again with them is that, you know, we kind of trust that when it's all said and done, they'll find enough arms to get it done. And that's, that's essentially what they've done because the offense has been the offense all year. There's really no doubt about that. And that's, that's the area where I'm most confident in them. But uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think they found enough pitching to get them through, uh, you know, all the way through to Omaha. That's where they end up finishing the season. And I think that's a big difference from where they were early in this season. When I came out of, seeing them at Frisco and, and granted that was a bad weekend for them, but I kind of came out of that wondering, you know, I don't know, they, they may not be able to find all the arms to kind of fill out the staff this year. And uh, lo and behold, we look up uh, at the end of the season and, and here they are uh, it really in good position headed in the postseason. Dave, Joe did a great job of breaking down their, their pitching. What about their offense? I mean, when you look at Josh Young and Cam Warren, Gabe Holt, I mean, it's a pretty deep lineup. And a lot of it is similar to, to the lineup last season that you faced at West Virginia that ultimately helped uh, the Red Raiders get to Omaha. I mean, what, what stands out to you about the lineup, and, and how do you attack a lineup with the kind of depth that Texas Tech has? Well, you have to attack them with a lot of quality. Uh, you are exactly right. It is, it is a loaded lineup that, should, that has guys that hit for average, guys that hit for power, Obviously, with Holt, he, he uh, puts havoc on the bases. He's tough to throw out when he's on base. So it's a, it's a really balanced lineup. And, and it's, you know, I knew after we played him last year that most of that lineup was all coming back. And I knew they were only going to get better. And I, I'm not even sure they've totally hit stride for what they can be. But it, it is a tough lineup. And going back to the question about them winning it, uh, another feather and tip headlocks cap uh he does it again his team's playing great baseball at the end of the year kind of feel bad for steve rodriguez and baylor you know all year long they've been on top of the standings for the most part looking down at others and then the last weekend they end up losing it to texas tech which is as the old saying the cream rises to the top and i think when we all started this at the start of the year we saw texas tech as probably the best team in that league and especially when baylor had some injuries and other injuries around the league but um uh, Texas Tech is, is a very good offensive lineup, uh, and as Joe stated, their pitching has gotten better. 
and they are a scary team heading into uh, the postseason. And it would not shock me at all that uh, they're they're in Omaha again um, come June. Stillwater is apparently the place where Big 12 regular season titles go to die. This is now two years in a row that the team going into leading the Big 12 going into the final weekend of the regular season uh, is playing in Stillwater and loses the title uh, to a team playing in Texas last week or last year. Oklahoma State was was winning the Big 12 going into the last weekend and winds up losing it and and Texas gets it uh, with the, their late charge. Uh, Oklahoma State getting, I believe it was swept at home by Texas Tech. And then this year, obviously, Baylor going up to Stillwater uh, and, and it not going well for them while Texas Tech, again, sitting at home, is able to, to get it done. So I guess next year, if Oklahoma State is is host is is it at home on that final weekend? Look out! If uh, whoever's whoever's going there, you know, th- th- there's going to be probably be some some Big Twelve title impact on on the line there in Stillwater. That obviously was great. It goes down to the the final day. The rest of the the conference races this weekend, we cannot say the same for uh, in the SEC. Vanderbilt got it done um, on Friday night, clinching the title. Louisville, I think, clinched the ACC on Thursday night. In the Pac-12, they still have a week to go, but with UCLA's sweep and Oregon State and Stanford splitting their rain-shortened series, UCLA now has a a game-and-a-half lead uh, with three games to play, so that looks pretty commanding. Uh, I guess the Big Ten did go down to the wire um, with uh, Indiana beating Rutgers on the final day to to pass Michigan. We will get to the Hoosiers in a second, but around the rest of it, you know, conference titles accepted. I mean, what what kind of stood out to you guys from this weekend? Well, I'll go first. Um, for me, the first thing disappointing. I, I, I'm really disappointed with the Oregon State Stanford series only going two games. That has, to me, that had not only major implications on the Pac-12 standings, but it has major implications on seedings for the rest of the, uh, as we get closer to the postseason. So, I don't know the reasoning. I know we talked about it last night in our top 25 chat. There, you know, could have been TV reasons and all that. But in that, the kind of magnitude that that series had, I don't know how you don't try to get all three games in because it only benefits not only the conference, it benefits the two teams that, that are affected by that. Um, you know, it kind of happened in the Baylor-Oklahoma series, but I don't think that was, you know, the way it ended up with Texas Tech, that wouldn't have made a decision. This, this could have a major impact on the, on the Pac-12, but more importantly on the seedings as we come closer to, to that uh, next week. Two things that stood out for me that, that I wanted since it's from where I'm from. UCLA sits at 45 and eight right now. UC Santa Barbara and just continues to win series and sweet series every single weekend. UC Santa Barbara sits at 44 and seven. Being from the West Coast, coaching on the West Coast, um, that is difficult to do to get in the 40s. Uh, when you get in the 40s on the West Coast this late in the year, you're having a great season. Both those teams with obviously with another weekend left of conference games and then with the postseason could go into the Super Regionals already at 50 wins. And like I said, coming from the West Coast, that doesn't really happen because of who you match up with during the midweek and you beat each other up. So 
UC Santa Barbara's on another 13 game win streak, the second of the season. And I, you know, there's been a lot of talk and I know we've talked about Santa Barbara, but we focused a lot on UCLA, Stanford, Oregon state, obviously when Arizona state was going real well, I'm not so sure the Gauchos uh, may have one of the (laughs) the better teams in the country out there. And they're proving that every week. And I know the big West isn't what are these other conferences are, are strength wise, but from top to bottom, offensively, defensively, pitching-wise, and finding different ways to win games, the Gauchos are a team to, to look for as we as we move on. Those are the things that stood out for me this weekend. Yeah, I mean, the, the Gauchos with the sweep in Hawaii, um, basically, uh, they now have a three-game lead in the Big West, so they just need to, to win one game against Cal Poly this weekend, and they'll have their first Big West title since 1986. So a very not only is what they're doing this season very impressive on it, on its just on its face, but it's a historical season for the Gauchos, and that's a program that's had a few of those in, in the last five or so years. You know, hosting a regional for the first time, then breaking through to the College World Series for the first time. And now uh, they're closing in on their first Big West title in more than 30 years, which is uh, a very, very impressive feat uh, for Andrew Checkett's club. Joe, what about you? What uh, what stood out to you this weekend? So the ACC is interesting to me. It's obviously not that not necessarily at the top where Louisville just kind of it was clearly the class of that league, particularly the second half of the season. Uh, but it was really active in terms of the in terms of the bubble and the at large race, and things kind of broke almost exactly like they needed to for the ACC to maximize the number of teams they end up getting into regionals and the teams that end up hosting regionals. North Carolina State, uh, you know, kind of did what they needed to do against North Carolina, looked really good doing it. Probably sets them up uh, to be in a position to host a regional. But then on the bubble, you know, you had Florida State, which is has a, a good ACC record. The RPI is more of the sticking point, but. They did kind of what they needed to do, at least at a bare minimum, by winning a game against Louisville. So the RPI is up around 50 now, 17 regular season ACC wins. Um, you know, so they, they're kind of in a position now where you kind of figure that that ACC record is going to be able to get them in uh, now that the RPI is in a more palatable place. But you had Clemson winning a series and getting to 15, 15, 15 and 15 in the ACC and, and kind of stopping the bleeding there. Um, you know, you had Duke not getting swept by Miami, uh, you know, had they been swept by Miami, that would have been kind of a, a troublesome thing for them potentially, but, uh, they were able to fin that off and, you know, their, their RPI is kind of inside the top 50 and, and 500 in the league. And then Virginia won their series with rival Virginia tech, which is not an easy thing to do, obviously with the, a rivalry series. Um, so their numbers are looking pretty good. So there's plenty to play for in the ACC tournament. Um, you know, Wake Forest could maybe play themselves in still, um, you know, they're sitting at 14 and 16, but their RPI is, is closer to 60 than it is to 50. So that's a little problematic, but they've got a chance to play themselves in. Uh, so plenty of stuff still to play for uh, in Durham this coming week. But it, but it feels like the ACC kind of with the results over the past weekend kind of set themselves up to maximize the number of bids they're going to get uh, come Selection Monday. Yeah, it was uh, a good weekend to be an ACC bubble team. I guess with the exception of Wake Forest, but since they're playing Clemson, one of them had to have a bad weekend. So that 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 it will be interesting in Durham. A lot a lot of teams kind of did their work already, but you know they're they're still going to want to make sure that they don't go 0 and 2 in Durham. So that there will be there will be some intriguing games there at the DBAP. I you know the SEC this weekend was interesting in its own way. Um, you know A and M really added to its hosting case with that series win against Arkansas. 
they're now they finish sixth in the SEC, and their RPI is is looking pretty good there. At number fourteen, they have sixteen SEC wins. So if they can go to Hoover and win on Tuesday, I mean they're going to have a pretty compelling case. Now I don't know who they're going to knock out. I don't know if you're looking at them knocking out NC State if they can get ahead of LSU, which beat AM and finished ahead of them in the SEC standings. So that's not going to be an easy task. But AM, by winning that series against Arkansas, at least gives itself something to play for in a very real way in Hoover. And then Florida going to Missouri and sweeping the Tigers in Como meant that Florida went from basically its chances of of getting to the tournament being on life support to now they're being a very real path I, it's not going to be easy they start with AM in the sec tournament in an elimination game before they get into double the elimination in, in on wednesday there in hoover but if florida can stay hot they they now are sitting at 13 and 17 in the sec with a top 25 RPI, and in addition to those 13 SEC wins, they have five wins against Miami and Florida State, who both look like they're going to, to be regional teams as well. I don't know. The committee's not really going to evaluate it like that, but those are 18 very solid wins for the Gators, and uh, that makes the start of the SEC tournament very interesting. And it also is going to make it hard, I think, for Mizzou to get in ahead of Florida. Like, now the Tigers have a lot of work to do in Hoover themselves. Uh, you know, they also start with a, a single elimination game that they're absolutely going to have to win. And it, that how that all plays out will be very interesting. And then, you know, at the, the back of it, it was interesting that South Carolina was able to, to make it through. Uh, that, that was not a team anyone on this podcast predicted to, to be the, the 12 seed in Hoover. So the Gamecocks able to get it done against Mississippi State. And, and like I mentioned, that actually ends up costing the Bulldogs an SEC West title, uh, which is very beneficial to the Razorbacks, which uh, you know can still feel pretty secure about their top eight overall seed. So the SEC, as always, creating some drama, and there will be more drama to be had in Hoover. It'll be interesting to see how all of that shakes out over the next week. We had two new teams joining the top 25. I want to start with Indiana, which closed very strong the last couple of weeks here to go win the Big Ten title. They won a series at Michigan a week ago, and then this weekend they swept Rutgers, finishing 5-1, and one, just passing Michigan, which this weekend lost a series at Nebraska that ultimately costs them uh, their first Big Ten title in more than a decade. The Hoosiers are running hot, obviously, and they're, they have an outside shot, I suppose, at, at hosting a regional themselves. They're probably going to have to go win the Big Ten tournament now, sitting at 30 in the RPI. They're, they're going to need some help. But the way they're playing right now, I don't, I don't want to rule it out. And I, it, it's an impressive fi- finish for the Hoosiers in the first season under Jeff Mercer as, as their head coach, an experienced club. Uh, getting it done here in May. Joe, you saw them a few weeks ago now, uh, but could you, at that time, did, did you see them having the kind of finish they did to to be able to put themselves in this position and go win the Big Ten title? Yeah, I kind of 
I, I saw a team that I think was starting to kind of figure it out and, and put it together and was was really starting to play the way that Jeff Mercer kind of wants him to play. One of the things that he that he mentioned a couple times uh, over that weekend when I was there was that I just want these guys to start playing like they like they like they believe in themselves, like they like they know that they're Indiana, you know, the program that has so much history recently. And it feels like that's at that time, you know, they that was a pretty emotional series win for them against Minnesota. I mean, they they lost the Friday game, Saturday game. They get down six to one. They end up winning. I think it was I think it was six to one. Then they wind up winning seven to six. But I could have that wrong on the numbers a little bit. But uh, you know, Matt Lloyd hits a big like a monster three run home run to walk it off, and they they win Sunday running away. And it kind of felt like that was a pivotal moment. Now they it wasn't perfect on the way down the stretch. They uh, they still had their struggles off and on, but like you mentioned, finished really, really strong. So I could start to see it there where, where you almost felt like a light bulb had, had gone on there where they started to believe in themselves. And this is a team that you really, you know, if they don't end up hosting a regional, which, you know, if, if you're making me bet, I'm, I'd say they probably won't. Uh, but the path is there. Um, but this is not a team you want to see show up as a, as a two seed in your regional, even if you're a team like Louisville, which seems like a relatively uh, – relatively decent bet as a potential landing place for, for the Hoosiers. And, but even then, I don't think this is a team you want to see because if you're, if you look at what kind of what they bring to the table, uh, you know, the offense, when they get hot is, is, is really tough to overcome. You're going to strike them out. They have almost 600 strikeouts as a team this season, but they're also going to hit a lot of home runs. They've got 90 of those as well. Um, and it's a veteran offense and on the, on the pitching staff, which gets overlooked a little bit. I mean, they're going to be able to start with a guy in Polly Milto, who is about as experienced as anybody in the country as, as a weekend starter. Um, and, you know, Andrew Salfrank has been a big part of their success this year, a guy who's taken a big step forward, 96 strikeouts in 69 and two-thirds innings for him. Connor Manis is a really good bullpen piece. Tanner Gordon, a junior pitcher, has stepped up into the rotation, done a nice job. And, and oh, yeah, there's Matt Lloyd on the back end, who's one of the more experienced closers in the country as well. So, um there are kind of holes where, you know, they could they could also have a game where they get shut out and strike out 15 times. And if they get drawn against the wrong starting pitcher, that could be the way it goes. But the other thing about it is if they're able to kind of string things along and get you to a, a deciding seventh game of a regional, um, you're, they're, they're going to have a good chance to win that just because if your pitching is a little bit thin and a little bit tired and you're getting to the back of the bullpen, that is not the offense you ended up facing off against. So I think it's a team that really no matter where they get drawn, it's going to be a really uh, a really live dog to win a regional there just because of kind of the way they, they match up. So Indiana closing hot, Creighton also closing very hot. They've won eight of their last nine series, and I think it's uh, nine of their last ten games. And they go out and win the the Big East in impressive fashion, finishing it off with a, a sweep of Villanova this week. You know, Villanova's the worst team in that conference, but Creighton not tripping up on, on the way to the finish. And, and they're now 35 and 11. They started the season a little slowly, uh, as some northern teams will do. They had a lot of series affected by weather. Um, you know, they lost a, a series... Uh, against Purdue just completely canceled um, and, and they had some other games rained out or snowed out I suppose they had a series that was supposed to be home against Maryland wind up getting moved to College Park and they wound up sweeping that series which uh, kind of was a maybe a bit of a turning point for the Blue Jays and, and they really went on a roll ever since Dave I, Creighton is a uh, obviously hot I mean just to to do what they've done uh, in their conference which has you know definitely some teams like Villanova that aren't so strong, but also has some some pretty consistent contenders uh, to do what they've done. And and Ed Cervais is just 
built such a consistent program there. I mean, do, what what stands out to you about the way the Blue Jays are, are playing right now? Well, I think you stated a lot of it. I think they're 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 playing good baseball at the right time. I've you know obviously from Joe being from that part of the country, I've heard him talk a lot this year about how horrible their weather has been and how much they've had to overcome to do what they've done to 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 finish with the record that they have with with the struggles they've had with canceling games, moving games to other cities or to other venues. It's just kudos to what what he's doing and what he's building there. It, it's uh, it's a you know it's a program that is you know, that I'm well aware of because of my trips to Omaha and they were always a great, a very gracious host and, and kudos to them. They're having a great season and, and they're going to be stuck and they're going to be put in someone's regional and, and they're going to be someone that, that someone's going to have to fight through to get through because they've, they've been battle tested, obviously with all the, the, um, everything they've had to been through and everything they've had to endure this year. And, and, um, and they finished strong and they're very deserving of winning the big East. And, when you think of the Big East, for me, I think of St. John's and, and that program and, and their success. But uh, when a Creighton finishes on the top, they've had to do something to get that done. Absolutely. And uh, like you said, it, no, I don't think anyone's going to be thrilled to see Creighton get drawn into their regional. They're, uh, they're a pretty offensive club, and uh, you know, they, they definitely can go out and score some runs. And they, they pitch pretty well, too. So uh, that, that will be interesting to see where the Blue Jays end up. Now, like we mentioned, this is conference tournament week. Apologies to the SWAC, Ivy League, MEAC, and Patriot League, which all finished up last weekend. Uh, and meanwhile, shout out to Army, Harvard, Southern, and Florida A&M, the four teams that have already punched their tickets to the NCAA tournament. Southern for the first time since 2009. Very impressive turnaround uh, there from Carrick Jackson. Army in back-to-back regionals now. Uh, they beat Navy in Annapolis to to make that happen again this year. Florida A&M, their first uh, their first appearance since 2015, and Harvard in for the first time since 2005, snapping the longest NCAA tournament drought in program history. But we are looking at some of the tournaments that start this week. And we had some fun last week making picks for regular season champs. So we're going to do that again with the tournament. And we are going to start with the American, which begins Tuesday in Clearwater, Florida. East Carolina is your number one seed there. And I would say prohibitive favorite after going 18 and three in the regular season. Do either of you, I guess, Joe, we'll start with you. Do, do, do you see ECU... Uh, getting stopped, and is there a dark horse uh, that that we need to watch? Because again, this is such a crazy conference outside of East Carolina in first place. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of confidence anybody can usurp East Carolina. Just uh, for one, it's obviously the dominance. I mean, winning that conference by seven games, my goodness! And it's not it's not a banner year for the American. Um, there's been much better years for this conference, top to bottom, but. There's some pretty good teams in that conference, and winning it by seven games is just unbelievable. Uh, But beyond that, they're going to have something to play for. I mean, they're still trying to lock down a top-eight seed, and because they've not had the, uh, you know, some of the opportunities that teams in the SEC or the ACC have had to collect uh, big wins, they probably still feel like they need to go and prove themselves a little bit to lock down a top-eight. So they've got some things to play for there. If I'm if I would get going to go with a, some sort of dark horse here, you might look at a team like, you know, that, that, that has the motivation there, maybe like a Houston or a UCF. Uh, both have been pretty up and down this year, been a little bit inconsistent, but 
uh, UCF in particular has come on of late. They were really not even in the discussion at all to get into the field as recently as, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. Now they've kind of created that path for themselves. Uh, so if you want to go with the team that just is going to want it as much as anybody else in the field, um, you know, which is hard to say. Everybody's playing for the auto bid, but UCF might be the pick there. They're just playing really well right now, and they kind of feel feel like they, they know what they need to do, and that's have a good week in Clearwater. So that's that's my dark horse there, but it's East Carolina. It's, it's, it's so hard to imagine somebody beating them twice during the week. Uh, that just seems like a tall task. Nobody, nobody did it during the regular season. I don't know why they'd be able to do it now. Dave, uh, what about you? What, who do you like in the American? Well, again, I, I agree with everything Joe said. He's right on and that how East Carolina just dominated it. But, you know, and they, and they do have something to play for. There, there's no, nothing's been locked up for a top eight seed and all that. But, you know, sometimes, it, you know, you kind of have a tend to, to lay off. And in, in, in all these tournaments, there's programs, notoriously in all these programs that, that have had a lot of success and some that kind of turn off pull off the accelerator a little bit. I don't think East Carolina is going to do that, but my sleeper would be UConn. Um, I think there's been spurts throughout this season that UConn has played really well. Um, In fact, it was between UConn and Houston, my choice on this, uh, to go against the chalk, like it sounds like Joe is doing with us, and and they play in round one. And I think that, um, I think in my opinion – Yes, East Carolina is the clear cut. They're they're probably way better than than everyone else in that league. But I, my dark horse is UConn to come out of that and and finish as the conference champion. Yeah, I mean, I think that East Carolina, like I said, clear favorite here, and they are also a program that under Cliff Godwin has played really well in this event. Uh, they've won it before. He clearly seems to value the tournament. There are some coaches that kind of seem to prefer to just move on from conference use conference tournaments as more of a tune-up that is not how east carolina has approached this in the past i don't expect them to again so i think that uh yeah i would definitely make them my pick i would say my dark horse i'd be looking at tulane i think that being in the other half of that bracket is significant and you know the the blue or the green wave excuse me have uh have done some impressive things this year in the conference. They have some nice series wins. I, I, they're definitely playing only for the auto bid. Their RPI is not very good. Um, it's down near 100, and I, I think that they, they might be a team that, that's able to get hot down there. But really, anyone, if East Carolina faced off against any of these other teams in the finals, I would not really be all that surprised. I, I would just like that's the level of chaos that that the American can produce this week that um, I, I think any of that anyone could could wind up in the finals against East Carolina. The ACC has a little bit of a different format. They go with the pool play. Uh, there are four pools of three and that feeds into semifinals on Saturday and then the finals on Sunday. Louisville is your number one seed, Georgia Tech. NC State and Miami are the other top seeds in the pools, and that is significant because if they end up tied, those are the teams that advance. So, Dave, who do you like in the ACC? Well, obviously with 11th last year at Florida State, uh, I would like to choose Florida State, and they have always notoriously had good success in the ACC tournament. But over a long season, obviously Louisville is the clear-cut uh, best team in that conference. 
um, but they haven't played well in the tournament. I'm going to go with what I think has been the most consistent team towards the latter part of the year, the team that's kind of come up from no one talking about them to them being ranked and them being a talk of a, of a host for a regional. And I'm going to go with the Miami Hurricanes. That's, uh, that's my pick for the ACC. I think they've played maybe the most consistent over the tail end of the season. And I'm thinking they're going to carry that into the ACC tournament. I like it. I, I think the Canes are uh, they're definitely playing well, and they are motivated given that they uh, they're trying to host a regional for the first time in a few years down there. Joe, what do you got? Well, Dave stole my thunder a little bit there because I was going to go. Not that we can't agree. We can, of course, uh, reasonable minds can agree and disagree. No, but I, I was going to go with Miami just because you know they're getting they're getting healthy with Chris McMahon and and, and Evan McKendry back in the fold, and they were able to kind of weather the storm. Uh, you know, by putting Brian Van Bell on Fridays, then piecing it together the rest of the weekend, you know, using Slade Zaccone and then using Tyler Kaiser. Uh, but those guys are kind of back and healthy. Uh, and at the me- in the same time, you've kind of groomed a couple of pitchers in, in Zaccone and-, and Kaiser to pitch in big situations. And that could really pay dividends in, in a tournament situation where you're going to, if you're going to make a deep run, you may have to go beyond your top guys. So um, I think they've flown a little bit under the radar. Um just because of, you know, what Louisville has done. And there's been other teams that have been, you know, more in the discussion. Georgia Tech, for example, has just been more in the discussion this year. Um, but Miami's playing really well and getting healthy at the right time. And that always seems like a recipe for success. I am going to go with Florida State. They have won three of the last four of these things. And there will be motivation there, as always, this week. I personally think they're pretty well locked into a NCAA tournament bid, but uh, you know, because the RPI is where it is, there, there are going to be some questions. So they, they probably can feel like they need some, um, uh, that they need to, to go and, and, and show something still in Durham. And just, I, I feel like this tournament is ripe for someone to just kind of come from outside the, the top echelon and go get it. Uh, you know, Louisville, has does not play well under Dan McDonald. They do not play well in conference tournaments. They haven't won a conference tournament in like one in a decade or something to that effect. Uh, Georgia Tech, uh, I the ACC format is a little forget forgiving, and Xavier Curry uh, may be back in the rotation this week, uh, but they're a little banged up on the mound, and to you know have to play four games this week, I, I don't know. You know how interested they're going to be in in really stressing their arms ahead of regionals next week. Though they are trying to push for a top eight overall seed themselves, and then you know, so I I just feel like there's there's room for a team like a Florida State to come out and and get hot and you know do something this week in Durham. And I think it would be fun if we got a Florida State Miami situation. Um, that'd be kind of a, a weird last year in Durham to get Florida State and Miami in, in the finals. But that would be a, a very fun uh, championship game if that is what we uh, we got there in the ACC. Now, in the Big 12, uh, Texas Tech is your one seed. This is a true double elimination tournament all the way through starting on Wednesday. Um, Joe, what do you got on the Big 12? You're going to be in Oklahoma City. What, what are you looking for in Bricktown? Well, so I think I will go a little bit off the board here with my pick. I think I'm going to go to West Virginia um, just because, you know, with Texas Tech. You're just mad that Dave stole your thunder on the last one. That's and right. you're stealing Dave's thunder. That's right. Take that, Dave. <laughs> uh, 
I'm going to go out in front with Mountaineers. Um, you, I mean, the thing is, I mean, there, there is a, I think there's a path. And we talked about this on our top 25 call last night. I think there is a path for West Virginia to get back in a position to host, but it really involves maybe winning the whole thing at a bare minimum. It feels like they maybe need to get to the final, just given where they finished in the big 12. Um, but you know, if you're telling me that they can kind of hold off, I mean, they, they have a relatively favorable draw. They ended up drawing Kansas in the first game. Kansas swept Kansas state last weekend. So it's not that the Jayhawks aren't playing well. And, and they've, they've really actually been, I think quite a bit better than many expected they would be this season. So that's not a rollover situation necessarily, but you know, it's a situation where maybe you hold Manoa for a potential winner's bracket game. And now you're talking about the possibility of West Virginia starting off at, at two and O. And I think you'll take the chances of any team starting off two and O ended up end up winning the tournament altogether. And I don't know if there's a pitcher in the big 12 right now that you would rather have in, in a situation to keep you in the winner's bracket and put you in the catbird seat more than, more than Alec Manoa. So um, I think that's where I go with that. Um, Texas tech obviously is just playing really well right now, but you wonder if with that big 12 title locked up, if, if this might be a situation where they, they don't, push it necessarily to the wall in Oklahoma city this week, knowing that, you know, at the very least hosting is, is likely wrapped up and, and you have to think a big 12 champion would have a pretty good shot at the top eight as well. Uh, it would probably behoove them not to have a really rough week. Uh, but you don't know that they're really going to want to thin themselves out too much in the mound just to push for a tournament title. So maybe not the week for, uh, for Texas tech to do that, but plenty of stuff to look for here at, in, uh, Oklahoma city, obviously Oklahoma is going to be trying to play its way in. They helped themselves with that series win over Texas. Uh, but still feels like maybe they could they could stand to do a thing or two uh, to better their position a little bit. And TCU is kind of in the same place. I mean, they probably just need to win the whole thing. Uh, but I don't know if they get to Sunday, will their RPI be in a good enough place to to get them there? I don't know. Um, but they, they showed well against Texas Tech. It feels like maybe they found a little bit of something at least, a little bit of juice uh, to end the season. So it's going to be a, a fun week in Oklahoma City. And, and hey, you know, I think it's not nothing that Kansas State and Kansas are both there. And, you know, going into the, the year, you kind of figure, okay, one of those two probably aren't going to get there. That's just the way the mechanics are going to work. But with Texas having a tough second half of the season, they're both there. And that's a that's a big deal for those programs uh, that are both trying to build something there. So um, I'm lo- really looking forward to it, but I'll go with West Virginia as my, as my pick. I think the mechanics of what they can set up their pitching with bodes well. And also they're the team that, that arguably – uh, outside of Oklahoma, just kind of playing for its its postseason life, um, might have the most to play for going into it. Dave, uh, who do you like there? Well, I uh, again, I agree with Joe, and he he, he didn't steal my thunder because I, I I believe West Virginia does get to the finals. Um, I originally uh, my pick was going to be Oklahoma State. Uh, if the, if I looked at the format right, I think they could play in the finals. Oklahoma State and West Virginia both being in different brackets, and if you look at the brackets. Joe had kind of mentioned it. They are a little lopsided. Um, you got three. You got three of the teams in the one bracket with Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Oklahoma. That all three are probably pretty much in the tournament. And then TCU, a program that has to win the tournament to get in, but has a ton of tradition over the last five to eight years. So uh, the the West Virginia bracket's a little easier, even though Texas Tech the best team in that conference. But I have West Virginia going to the finals. But I had Oklahoma State beating them in the finals. Um, I just feel. I know the West Virginia program well. They can be offensive. But I think outside of their four starters, their three weekend starters, and Nick Snyder, who's had a great year for them in the midweek games, and their closer, Sam Kessler, then it gets a little sketchy after that. So 
they're going to have to they're going to have to stay out of that losers bracket to get to that the the final game. But I, I had Oklahoma State beating them in the final game, and Oklahoma State walking away with the Big Twelve tournament champion. Yeah, I'm also going to agree with that. I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. I like the way the Cowboys are playing. They're probably as hot as anyone in the conference. Uh, Maybe Texas Tech accepted, but uh, I guess definitely Texas Tech accepted. But what the Cowboys have done over the last few weeks has been very impressive. They have home field advantage to an extent there in Oklahoma City. And, you know, that's that's a team that won the Big 12 tournament not that long, just a few years ago. Um, I believe that was 2017 they won this thing. And so I, I, I like the I like the Cowboys here. I just like the way they've been playing. I like the way Jensen Elliott is pitching. Uh, their bats have been really hot. And uh, I, I think that that can carry them through this tournament in Bricktown. Now in Omaha, we have the Big Ten tournament. Indiana goes in as the top seed. Again, in a traditional double elimination tournament uh, all the way through. Joe, let's start with you again here. What are you seeing in the Big Ten, which uh, has a lot of the usual suspects in the tournament, but in a little bit of a jumbled order, I suppose? Yeah, this is really anybody's ball game. I, you know, I, I did a radio spot uh, yesterday and kind of was asked that same question, and it's like, well, it kind of depends on on what you value here. Um, but I, I'll go with the kind of, the, I guess, the boring choice with Indiana, kind of for the reasons I laid out. Uh, earlier, which is they've got a couple of horses in the rotation um, that you, that you feel really good about getting you deep in games. It'll save the bullpen for later in the week. But the bullpen guys they have are are, are kind of multi inning guys. Save for Matt Lloyd, he's kind of a one inning guy. But outside of that, they've got guys who can you can stretch out a little bit. And offensively, this is just not the team that you want to see. Um, this is not the team that you want to see if you get to the Saturday of the Big Ten tournament and you're kind of trying to figure out who you have left who can throw some innings for you. So I think they've got a good shot just to really be a tough matchup throughout the week. You know, if, if, if give me uh, Iowa kind of as a dark, and I don't even say Iowa's dark horse. They were in the field of 64 a couple weeks ago, but I think they showed what they can do on the high end uh, this season. And they, they just had a really high level of volatility this season, but more than some of these other teams that are kind of in the middle of the, of the, of the pack here in the big 10, they've shown more than most that they do have the capability of playing at a level to be a regional team. So they're certainly going to be a team. And with it being in Omaha, just off the Iowa border, they're going to have a lot of support there, probably as much support as any, any team not named Nebraska. So uh, it will be uh, the, the situation is there for Iowa to play pretty well and have success. So they're another team to watch there, but, but Indiana to me is the team uh, that I see coming out in the end. Dave, what do you got? Well, again, uh, all due respect to Indiana because they, they've had a great season and, and, and as I said to you last night, I have a lot of respect for teams that, that win the conference outright over a course of 30 games, 27 games, 24 games, whatever the conference is. Um, but I, I, have it a different, I have a different way of looking at it. I, uh, if I looked at the bracket right again, I have Illinois and Minnesota making it to the end, and I took uh, Illinois in the championship. I think, I think Illinois got off to a slower start and came on late. They had just had gotten so far down. But I think they're one of the hotter teams right now in the big 10. And I just like the way they're playing. I, I, uh, my, my pick is Illinois to come out on top in that conference. Illinois is going to be very motivated. They have the best RPI in the conference at 22. And if they can go win this thing in Omaha, that might mean that they have a home regional. And I am going to 
echo Dave here again and pick the Illini. I don't say that very confidently. That probably is coming through. I think this tournament is pretty up for grabs because I wonder if Indiana is going like they are so home run dependent in a lot of ways and they're going to go play in TD Ameritrade, which as we all know is not a home run ballpark. And I just wonder how that's going to translate. And maybe the wins are in their favor this week in Omaha, but if they get the wrong weather conditions there, I, I just wonder if they're going to run into a couple games, and I, I think they will run into a couple games where they don't hit home runs, and then they they don't end up um, you know scoring enough runs. So I want to pick Minnesota. I've been on Minnesota since the start of the season. They've played very well at times. But I think Illinois is probably playing the most consistent baseball of the teams not named Indiana uh, in this tournament. So I'm going to roll the dice with the Illini. Uh, we'll, we'll see what they've got uh, there in Omaha. But I think that that tournament is one of the most wide open tournaments that, that we're going to talk about here today. Uh, we're going to stay in the Midwest, though, and we've got the Missouri Valley. Uh, this has been an intriguing conference this season. Uh, you know, a lot of good teams there, some tight races. DBU winds up winning the regular season in the number one overall seed. Uh, but this thing is going to be hosted by Illinois State, which finished tied in the standings with Dallas Baptist. They just lost out on the tiebreaker. So, Joe, you've seen more Missouri Valley baseball than any of the than either Dave or I. Uh, what? Who are you going with in the Valley? I'm just going to go Dallas Baptist, which again is kind of a, a boring uh, choice because they did tie for, they ended up winning the conference on the tiebreaker, but, and I think we kind of all agree that they've, they're, they're the most talented team out there. So it's a little bit boring, but I, I just think they're the, they're the one team that you look at and go, yes, that team has the pitching depth, even if stuff doesn't really go their way. A lot of teams, if you stay on schedule, have the pitching depth, right? Everybody's got a guy. All, most of the good teams have a couple of guys plus a bullpen guy, you know, and, and, and then maybe some depth pieces. But Dallas Baptist really has a, a staff full of um, guys that a lot of times this year they just haven't had enough innings to give them, frankly. Um, you know, so they probably could have been a little more reliant on some of these guys that haven't pitched as much. So um, I just like that depth there, whereas, you know, with Illinois State and Indiana State, they're a little bit thinner on the mound. Indiana State, I think, has the pitching to do it. Uh, they just need to stay a little more on schedule in Dallas Baptist. And, you know, this team, this Dallas Baptist team, as we talked about a couple weeks ago when we brought them into the stand, and the, excuse me, the rankings, they're not quite as offensive as some of the Dallas Baptist teams you might have in your mind, uh, but they're still pretty offensive. They still got some nice pieces out there. And um, Duffy Bassfield, uh, you know, if, it, if it's kind of that kind of windy day out in the Midwest that you often get in Missouri Valley Conference, that's a team that can do some damage as well. So Dallas Baptist is the pick, just really like that pitching depth. And I think the offense is, is more than good enough to get it done as well. Dave, what do you got? Well, I promise you I'm telling the truth because I circled all the ones that I'd liked and it was circled before, but I'm too naive to realize that the tournament was going to be held at Illinois state, but I chose Illinois state. Um, have a lot of respect for Dallas Baptist. Think they're a good team, very well deserving of winning the conference, even though it was a nail biter at the end. But I, uh, my gut instinct was Illinois state. And that was before you even said that the tournament was being held at their place. So I think that gives them an advantage tremendously, but I think that's going to be 
that's going to be that's a pretty wide open tournament. I'll be interested to see how that plays out, but I'm going to stick with my Illinois State pick. I'm going to go with DBU. Um, I think that the, it's a really, really talented team. I really like the way that Indiana State pitches, but I just like the way the bracket shakes out uh, for DBU more. And I, I think that you know they, they have a little bit of an easier path. And I, I again, this is we're, we're talking about this because there are three teams from this league that very much look like they're going to be in regionals in DBU, Illinois State, and Indiana State, Missouri State is a little dangerous. They have given, you know, they've been really banged up this year, but they've given some of these top teams fits, and that's a, a very experienced group. Obviously, uh, that, that's a team that has been in super regionals in recent years. And, you know, if you told me Missouri State got hot this week, I wouldn't be stunned. But I think ultimately... I'm going to go with DBU here uh, to, to go out and, and win the tournament. But it's, uh, that's going to be a fun one. It's off the radar, uh, but that, that's definitely one of the, the more intriguing tournaments of the weekend. One, uh, one, let me just uh, quickly, I mean, to, to kind of prove the point of how wide open it is, like if you're looking at teams that you think might be able to uh, you know, keep games low scoring and, and, and you know, put some games together like that, I mean, look at Bradley. I mean, is pitching as well as just about anybody in the conference throughout the year. Um, so, you know, that's just another team that, you know, might be flying on the radar a little bit, but if you're looking for teams that they could make some noise, the, the Braves stand out too. And then the offense isn't, isn't bad. I mean, the pitching is, is kind of where their bread is buttered, but, uh, they can get it done offensively as well too. So, um, they've, again, just because there's been so much oxygen taken up by those three teams that have clearly been at, in the at-large discussion for the entire season, Bradley's never really gotten there, but, uh, those guys can pitch it too. No doubt. No doubt. It's, uh, the the valley is should be on your radar this weekend. I, I know that it's typically that's not a, a league we think of, you know, goes up with with some of these other high major leagues. But the, they are deserving of it uh, this year, absolutely. Uh, we will finish here with the SEC. Vanderbilt is your number one seed. The format is convoluted, but remember that the top four seeds get buys and therefore don't have to start until Wednesday. Uh, which is a very significant advantage. If you have to play starting on Tuesday with an SEC through the SEC tournament, um, you know, and all that comes with that to Sunday, it's a, just a very tall ask uh, to to try and win it uh, if you don't have a buy. Uh, so those buys are Vanderbilt, Georgia, Arkansas, Mississippi State. Uh, Dave, what do you got happening in Hoover? Well, I w- I've gone back and forth on this one. Uh, you know, obviously, I live in the South, living in Knoxville, so I know it's it's hot here. It's going to get hotter this week. It's going to be hot down in Birmingham. So, you know the ball's going to be flying, and that's where I'm kind of leaning. At first, I looked at who's got the most pitching, because in a, in a tournament like this, it comes down to pitching. But then when it's going to be hot in that stadium, it's going to come down to offense now, because the ball's going to be flying. Pitchers aren't going to be able to be going deeper in the games. The coaches aren't going to want to wear guys out before next weekend. So I've kind of switched it a couple times. Obviously, the top three teams, Vandy, Arkansas, and Mississippi State, are offense and juggernauts. All three of them have very good offenses. Um, I'm going to go with Mississippi State. Uh, that, that's, it, it was a tough call. I'll be honest with you, quite honest with you. If, if, if I felt this was going to come down to pitching and if Garrett Crochet wouldn't have got hit last week and probably possibly out for this weekend, 
my dark horse would have been Tennessee because I just like the way they're playing. I, I think they're playing with a lot of confidence. You know, they just took two out of three from, from Ole Miss. They're playing with a swagger. They're back in the SEC tournament. Obviously, they have a tough opponent in Auburn, but I think they're playing better than Auburn in round one. But you're right, Teddy. You said it perfectly. That first round bye is, gig- is gigantic, and it's huge. And, and it means you only have to win four games now instead of winning five games. And at this time of the season, pitchers are tiring, and it's hard to get through that. But uh, I know I spoke a lot, but I got Mississippi State uh, winning it. Yeah, I think uh, that's you're uh, still less windy than Joe, so you're you're just fine there, Joe. Uh, Joe, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I can't even really argue with that. Um, so I'm going to go Mississippi State too. I will keep this brief though, because I, I, I all all everything that Dave is saying there makes a whole lot of sense. The other thing I'll say about Mississippi State is that uh, this is a, a team, even though they might not have a ton to play for on paper, feels like the top eight seed is just right there for them. They, you know, I can't imagine a scenario where where things go so sideways that they, they don't kind of pull through with that. I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't rule that out because you just never know, but it feels that way. But that being said, this is a program that feels like, I think as collectively they feel like they've had their backs against the wall like continuously for the last several years, whether it was what we talked about a couple weeks ago with after they, they swept Ole Miss, just the adversity they've had to deal with at the, at the head of the program. And then last year, I mean, you look at what they did the entire postseason, felt like their backs were against the wall the entire time. And then this year, they've really been a front runner the entire year, but they still it still feels like a team that has an edge to them. Um, and so I think that bodes well for a situation where on paper, they maybe don't have as much to play for as, as some other teams out there, but I don't think they see it that way. And I think that bodes really well for their success this week. So like Dave, I'm going around and around on this one. Um, I think Vanderbilt is playing the hottest and is the most complete team, but they haven't won this event since 2007. Uh, And there have been some very, very good Vanderbilt teams in the last 12 years to get it done. So is this the team that's going to get it done? I I don't know. I, I like Arkansas, but they haven't won it since 04. And if they get off schedule at all, I, their pitching is deep. But I don't know that it, if, they, if they had to play an extra game in here, I wouldn't like them as much. LSU traditionally plays really well in Hoover. And a part of me wants to pick the Tigers. But I just went on that whole spiel about how the first round bye really, really means a lot. So that basically leaves us, what, with Mississippi State and Georgia and I guess for the sake of a little bit for the sake of diversity here, uh, but also because I think it's the better pitching staff, I'm going to go with Georgia. And I don't have a ton of conviction. If you told me Mississippi State won this tournament for all the reasons you guys outlined, I like okay, yeah, absolutely, uh, they they can go get it done. But I think that you know Hoover is a big park, and Dave's right. Like the ball during the day, especially when it's hot, is going to carry pretty well. But at night, it doesn't. And so I feel like. You know, the just the pitching that Georgia has, you know, they're they're playing pretty well right now, uh, coming off of a sweep of Bama. And so I, Georgia, though, like I, I just I like what they can do on the mound with Cole Wilcox, with Tony Losey, with Emerson Hancock being back. And so I, I guess I'm going to go with the, the best pitching staff in the SEC. Uh, and, and that for me is the Bulldogs. So that is. Those are those are the six conference tournaments we wanted to highlight. We'll uh, we'll, we'll see how many of these we got right in a week um, when uh, when when they all wrap up. Uh, hopefully, we got a few of them. 
what we definitely will get is an entertaining weekend of college baseball around the country. Now we, we have uh, reached the point of our podcast where we do our shout outs. Uh, that's where we bring players or programs to light that we haven't talked about, but who are deserving of, of more mention here. Uh, so Dave, why don't we start with you? Who, who do you want to highlight for us this week? Well, first off, Teddy, I want to, I haven't said this to you uh, privately, but I want to thank you for allowing me to go first in the, in the, uh, when we shout out, because I would be really boring if I ever came after Joe because he's so good at, at, at going through so many things and, and uh, on, on the shout out portion. So thank you for letting me go first. So I don't sound as boring. Um, first off, I want to, uh, you know, you mentioned them earlier, they're in our top 25, but I want to give a real shout out to Mike Bates, all the Fresno state Bulldogs. Uh, you know, I said it last night in our talk, I think they're w- one of the more, uh, non-talked about teams going flying under the radar. I had the opportunity to, to go talk to Mike in week four when they came into Knoxville to play the volunteers. And at that time they were under 500, they were scuffling. And at that time he told me he loved his team. He thought they were tough and he loved his coaching staff. And, you know, uh, as you're heading into conference player, I think they'd already been, they'd already lost a weekend in conference play. That's kind of hard to say sometimes. And he had belief in his team they ran away with the Mountain West. Uh, obviously, I think whether they win their conference tournament or not, they're in the regionals. And I want to give a shout-out to, to him and his team because they've done a fabulous job. They haven't been talked about a lot. They've been in our top 25 the last two weeks, which is well-deserving. But they're going to be a tough team, and they'll probably end up at the Stanford Regional, and that's going to be a tough out for some for the, the other three teams in that regional. So the Fresno State Bulldogs, a shout-out. Uh, as I said earlier, when we were talking about the conference tournaments, I want to give a shout out to all the conference champions. And I know they all haven't been crowned yet. The PAC 12, or the, the PAC 12 has not been crowned the big West. Um, but when you go over the course of a long season, as I said earlier, you play 30 games, you play 27 or 24, all conferences have different respective games they play and you are on top at the end. You are the champion, no matter what happens in a tournament, you are the champion, and it, it's just unfortunate around the country, not in all the conferences, or in all the, that that isn't the automatic bid. Is you win it outright, and and I want to congratulate all the teams that finished in first place after the long season, all the ups and downs they had to go through, all the injuries they had to go through, all the adversity to finish on top of their conference, whether it's the strongest conference in the country or it's not the strongest conference. You're still the champion, and you've proven that over a course of games. And then lastly, I, I talked about the graduating uh, players, student-athletes last year. I want to uh, give a shout-out to all the seniors, some of them who played their last games that maybe, unfortunately, their team didn't make a conference tournament, and some of them who may be playing their last games this weekend. Uh, thank you for your services to college baseball. Um, congratulations on everything you've, you've uh, accomplished in your time there in your four years or five years that you're your respective institution and all the best to you. If if major league baseball, isn't your next step, all the best uh, success to you. And hopefully what, what you were able to learn going through being part of a team aspect and playing collegiate athletics will allow you to be a more successful husband, more successful father, and much more successful in the business world. And and congratulations for everything you accomplished. Absolutely. Those, uh, everyone wearing the uniform for the last time. I know that's a, whether you're senior or you're junior going into the draft or if it's just time to hang them up, uh, an emotional time. So, uh, you know, 
got to got to savor those moments while while you can uh, this weekend. Joe, what do you got for us this week? Well, see, Dave's selling himself short there because the thing about it is, like, yeah, I might come off the wall with some of this wacky stuff, but like, Dave, Dave's really good at like giving like a sincere sentiment with like the graduation thing or the seniors thing and his congratulations. Then I come in here like, let's talk about the Container Store, <laughs> you know? Like, it's just you know, so it kind of cuts both ways. Where like, I'm also it's always tough when Dave comes in here with a very kind, sincere sentiment and then I come in here and just kind of want to like create this fun house mirror situation but with that being said uh, a quick PSA to start off my shout outs uh, for you gentlemen like me who are balding or for you gentlemen out there who are uh, already bald uh, at Mike Rooney um, it is scout burning season gentlemen it is uh, it is time to make sure you sunblock your scalp uh, my brother, I was at his college graduation. My baby brother graduated college this past weekend. Shout out to Missouri S&T in Rolla, Missouri. Um, and we were out there taking pictures after the ceremony. And he was wanting to get, uh, well, more accurately, my family was wanting to get pictures of him. He wasn't too keen on it, but um, pictures around campus or whatever. So we're like walking around campus and we were out there not more than like an hour, hour and a half. And then I when I was sitting at home afterwards, I was like, man, I just feel my, my scalp is like burning. And then it turns out my scalp got sunburned. So make sure <laughs> you are putting sunblock on the scalp. Gentlemen, it is that time of year. I know if you live, although runes, you know, I, I, I did an add to Mike Rooney there, but he lives in Arizona. I'm sure he's, he's, he's sunblocking his scalp all year long, but, um, but here. It's called a bucket hat, Joe. He wears that, a bucket hat. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. But like in the Midwest, we haven't had to deal with it. Now, this is really one of the first weekends where it's been legit hot in the Midwest. So uh, just be aware, gentlemen. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is adult Lunchables. Um, so I go back to when I was a kid. I think we all know what Lunchables are, a little lunch package you put in a kid's lunch that has like some crackers and some, you know, cubed or sliced meat and some sliced cheese. And I used to think like, what a racket those are, man. They sell those for like $2.00. And you could just buy a pack of crackers and a package of cheese and slice it and a package of, of, you know, lunch meat and kind of dice it up. And you could do it for a lot cheaper. And here they are selling these things for like $2. And lo and behold, so now it's a popular thing I've seen in grocery stores over the last, I don't know, a few months, where now they're selling like upscale versions of like what are essentially Lunchables. And there's like one that has like these kind of like garlic bread fins that are like crunchy and it has like smoked Gouda cheese and like dry salami in it. And there's another one that has like kind of Triscuits in it and it has like, um, you know, it has a, a white cheddar cheese or whatever. And I'm, I tried one one time. I was on the road actually and I stopped at a, one of the bigger gas stations and they had them. So I bought one of those and ate it on the road and I was like, these are pretty good. And So I've been buying them at the grocery store and I had an epiphany yesterday that now I am the person who's out there getting worked uh, by these Lunchables and spinning, you know, uh, spending money on one of these prepackaged things that I could just do myself at home for, for less money. So, uh, it has come back around now where I am the person being duped by, um, something like Lunchables. So anyway, I don't know what the, the conclusion of that is. It's just to say that those are a thing that's out there. Um, they are tasty though. I will say that. So I've really enjoyed them. Teddy alluded to this earlier. We've got some auto bids that have happened and, and he mentioned one of them. I'm sure he'll clean up some of the others in his shout outs, but I wanted to give a particular shout out. I know Teddy and I are, are both a big fan of this coach, but uh, Carrick Jackson at Southern, and I tweeted it yesterday, but even if they had lost that game, it's just worth noting how incredible the job he's done there is. Um, I, it, 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 for those who have been following me for a while in my, in my previous stops covering college baseball, you might know that I wrote about him before his first season. 
in a longer a longer piece. Um, and you know, I remember him saying, you know, we really went down to basics. The first two weeks of practice, we just played catch, like literally just played catch to get down to the very, very basics. And he said, beyond that, though, the focus has been more on like, you you know, getting the academic side of it right. Because let's not forget, not only was the program not very good on the field, they were in major APR hot water. Um, and he, you know, was, he went on the record and it was quoted in the story saying that, uh, you know, I told the, the folks at Southern when I came here, that's not going to be a problem here. It's never been a problem in my past stops as a coach, and it's not going to be a problem here. And, uh, and he's, he's more or less done it. I mean, not only have they cleaned up the academic side of things and are doing well there, uh, but now they're in a regional in year two uh, with him as the head coach there. And this wasn't a fluky conference tournament win. They were good this year. And uh, they, they pulled it off with, with the auto bid, and now we're in a regional, which is a great thing for historically great program. And, and, and adding to the difficulty of, of what he's done there is he was taken over for a legend, not just at Southern, uh, but in not just in the SWAC, but in HBCU baseball. Roger Kador is kind of the, uh, the godfather of SWAC baseball in a lot of ways, just because of how good those Southern teams, and, and do yourself a favor if you don't know. I mean, go back and look at some of those Southern teams when like Ricky Weeks was there. Um, they were really, really good. Not just good within the confines of the SWAC, but but good nationally and regionally. So um, kind of cool to see Southern get back to the to the mountaintop there in the SWAC. Uh, looking forward, you know, Carrick is a guy who who has kind of big plans for Southern. Um, certainly he's a coach who who could be on the radar for some, some bigger jobs that might come open, but he's also really committed to getting Southern to the point where they are a, an annual contender for regional. So I'm really excited to see what he does in the future. Yeah, and also this week, uh, worth noting that this is kind of one of Carrick's uh, brainchilds, is Southern is going to play NCANT, which won the MEAC Southern Division in Chicago on Friday in what they're calling the inaugural HBCU World Series. And this year they had predetermined those two teams like a week ago, um, they both had very strong seasons, both division champions in their respective conferences. In the years going forward, it might be something where the two tournament champs face off uh, in a week where they're off before regionals. So hopefully that event goes well uh, on Friday, and then we can see that continue to grow throughout the, the years to come because... I mean, it's a very natural fit. These are two conferences that obviously are, are, are tied by being HBCUs. Uh, and, and then also, they both finish a week early. Um, both these teams are under 56 games on the season, and ev- pretty much every SWAC and MEAC team always will be. Uh, so it, it's quite an, a natural fit, and I, I hope that it, it becomes uh, very much an, an annual tradition uh, between those two conferences. Uh, for my shout-outs, I want to mention, first of all, Kevin Strosheen at Tennessee Tech. That is a program that has been off the radar this year because uh, it, it has not been a season like the last two where they went to regionals. And, of course, last year, the Cinderella run to Supers. But Kevin Strosheen has been uh, you know, just a, a very consistent, exemplary player since he showed up on campus. He was a freshman All-American in 2016. He was an All-American last year. And... This weekend, very quietly, he moved into 10th on the all-time NCAA career hits list. He finishes his career with 362 hits. He hit 359, 418, 636 for his career and started all 236 
of Tennessee Tech's games over the last four years. He owns just about every Ohio Valley Conference record um, uh, from an offensive standpoint. He rewrote the Tennessee Tech record book. And I think when we look back at the Tennessee Tech runs of the last couple of years, uh, he's going to be one of the names that, that stands out the very most. And so while the they haven't had the season that they would have liked to have had, uh, Strosheen definitely has established himself as one of uh, the greats, not only in that program and in that conference, but really on a national level to, to finish uh, 10th on the all-time hits list is, uh, is just a, an amazing accomplishment for him. So congratulations to Kevin Strosheen. I also want to mention Matt Walner, who homered four times this weekend against UAB, including twice on Saturday, and he becomes Southern Miss's all-time home run king. That's a guy that, uh, obviously, he's really good. He was the 2017 Freshman of the Year. He's going to be a top two rounds pick next month. But I mean, that's a guy, never forget, that was committed to North Dakota before North Dakota cut its program and adjusted on the fly, goes to Southern Miss from Minnesota, uh, there was a little bit of a culture shock going down there. Um, you know, he and I talked about that after his freshman year, but he's really done nothing but rake for the Golden Eagles. Uh, he's battled some injuries, but he's been a very consistent producer, and right now he's hitting 315 with 19 home runs this season. And um, It was a slower start to the year than he or Southern Miss would have liked for him this season, uh, but he's got a role in here at the end and is now your, your all-time home run came down at Southern Miss, and um, you know, the, the legend of Matt Walner is, is going to last at Southern Miss for a while. Uh, so those are my shout outs. Uh, you know, we mentioned the, the four teams with the at-large bids already. I've talked effusively about Army before, you know, and, and what Harvard and FAMU did this weekend, not to be lost either. So when we talk to you next week on the Baseball American College podcast, we will have a brand new top 25, but also it will be selection Monday. So we're probably not going to spend too much time talking about our top 25. We're, we're probably going to spend most of that time uh, talking about the, the field of 64 and what the committee did and, and how we think the, the tournament is going to shake out. So that is an episode or potentially two episodes. We might break it up that you will not want to miss. So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite app. Uh, while you're there subscribing, you might as well drop us a review, rate us. Hopefully it's five stars. Maybe it's four stars because you don't like Joe's shout out this week. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but while you're at it, make sure that, that you are subscribed so you can get that, that podcast next week uh, as soon as we push it uh, to iTunes, Google Play, whatever your Stitcher, whatever your favorite uh, podcasting app is. And remember to follow along at BaseballAmerica.com all week. I will be at the SEC tournament. Joe will be at the Big 12. We'll have plenty of content revolving around uh, teams on the bubble, uh, projected field of 64 all week long. So uh, make sure you are, are checking that out. I guess I should just, I might as well promo this here right now. We're going to have a daily updated projected field of 64 starting on Wednesday, leading all the way up until Monday. So as things change over the course of the week and you're wondering, oh, did that make AM a host? Or, oh, did somebody fall out of the field because they went 0-2? Well, you can go over to baseballamerica.com every morning and, and we'll have those answers for you. You can, you can bookmark that. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Dave is at Dave Serrano 11 and Joe is at Joe underscore on underscore sports. 
We will be back here next week. There will be a lot to discuss. So we will talk to you then. Thank you for listening. For Dave and for Joe, uh, I've been Teddy Cahill, and we'll talk to you next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.